Okay, if you'd open your Bibles along with me to Deuteronomy 23, and we'll be starting with verse 1. I'm glad each one of you are here, and I hope the Lord blesses our time together and the opening up of His Word. And I also uh, want to thank all of you who uh, are faithful in, in uh, watching uh, on YouTube and Facebook, and also in, in your um, generous giving to the church. And um, it's a wonderful thing that during this time we can still communicate with people even though they're not here personally. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how we thank you, Lord, for your love and just the way you have expressed your love towards us in the giving of the greatest gift the world has ever seen, Jesus Christ, who came in the form of man for one purpose, to live a perfect life, the Lamb of God, and was slaughtered and was killed, sinless, but he took upon him the sin of all of us that we might be forgiven and have the assurance and have the honor and have the right to enter into heaven for all eternity. Father, we're so thankful that this isn't some nursery rhyme, some fairy tale. This is the truth. Very nature itself and even our bodies indicate that we were made for eternity. We are information, all of who we are in our personality and even in our bodies. And we thank you, Lord, that that information will be translated into a glorified body one day that we might rise up to meet you in the air and to worship you forevermore. So now, Father, come and really speak to us through your word. We, your humble people, your servants, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, um, <clears throat> I was thinking of a lot of things, you know, this week in relationship to this portion of Scripture because this portion is about going into battle. And it's talking about soldiers, but of course all of us are soldiers of the cross. And there's so many things that Satan and the world has done to confuse us as believers that it often causes our attention to go here and our attention to go there other than where it really should be. And little things that might not mean anything, but it just shows the control that the world has and how they just gradually change things and no one even knows it. Simple example, when we were over to our uh, son, Pastor Frank Jr.'s house last night, uh, the family, and I, I actually have my original social, social, social security card. And it's 60 years old. I got it when I was 16. And it says right on the bottom, not to be used for identification under penalty of the federal law. And what is the Social Security card used for today? Identification. Was that law ever changed? Nope. They just started taking it off the card and just started doing it. And so there are things that, in the political sense, we can see how they've just changed. <clears throat> but even in, in more of a, of a real sense, for instance, you know, some people say, think I'm saying this just to be cute or funny, but when I'm asked to put on a form, when I'm filling out forms, and it says race, I say human. And everybody thinks, oh, that's kind of cute. No, no, it's not cute. That's what it is. We are all humans, homo sapiens. We are not, you know, different uh, races. That comes from Darwinian theory. Darwin thought that the aborigines of um, Australia were a different race. They thought they were part of the evolutionary 
cycle of coming up. They, he thought they were a missing link. And that's so wrong. All we as human beings share the same DNA. If I need a blood transfusion, it doesn't make any difference what color the person's skin is. It doesn't even make any difference what sex they are. If I need a blood transfusion, I get a blood transfusion. So I encourage you, you know, and maybe I'm just being a troublemaker, the next time you fill out a form, put human. Because do you understand? That's a serious point. To say that we're different races? I mean, we are, you know, have different amount of pigments in our skin. We have different height. You know, what if I, what if I go and say, I, I'm, a, I'm of the short race? You know, we all, always shorties, you know. We don't do any of that. We're all people united together in Jesus Christ. And you think of all the division that Satan is using this for in our nation and in our world to try to separate people. In Jesus Christ, we should be bringing everyone together. We are one people. God did not make separate creations, separate types of men. He made one man and one woman of which we are all descendants of. And I don't want to get into the whole thing, but there is a whole DNA thing that takes you back. It was just discovered a few years ago. It was a big report. And it says, it's interesting that it seems like all the DNA of all men seems to originate and go back to one single set of parents. Oh, wow. Gee, I'm glad you just discovered that. You know, I think uh, God told us that right from the beginning. And I say this because <clears throat> we're going to be getting into some things that, um, you know, might seem difficult because we're just looking at it on the surface, but it has a very deep spiritual implication and application for each one of us. And um, because it's going to be talking about, for one thing, going into battle. And uh, not all of us are going to be concerned about going into literal warfare, but every one of us needs to be concerned about going into spiritual warfare. Because every day, you and I will fight the good fight of spiritual warfare. Because Satan and our flesh never takes a day off. Right? I mean, have you ever woken up one morning and said, you know what? I don't have a temptation to do anything wrong. I just want to be wonderful to everybody. I never want to be cross. I never want to be angry. I never want to do anything wrong. I want to stay the speed limit. And, and if someone cuts me off, I just want to say, bless you, my friend, I'm praying for you. I just want to... Wouldn't it be nice to have a day like that? But we don't. <clears throat> the flesh never takes a vacation, and Satan never takes a vacation. And for this reason, we always have to be ready. We have to be prepared to do what the Lord would call us to do. You know, in 1 Peter, if you want to write this down, 3.5, it says, But sanctify the Lord in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense. So when it talks about sanctifying, it means set him apart in our heart. He is preeminent in our heart. He is the honored guest of our heart. Put him in his right place in our heart, that we might be ready to give a defense we're soldiers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it has to be defended against a world filled with all kinds of, of pagan religion and people and, and Satan himself who wants to do everything they can to come and destroy Christianity. We have to be ready to be soldiers and to fight the good fight. 
You know, and it tells us that we're supposed to do this with meekness and also fear of the Lord, not arrogance and, and not being, you know, just snippy the way we are. You know, a lot of people, you know, I've, I've had people come up to me and say, you know, so many Christians I've met I really don't like. And I say, I agree with you. Doesn't mean they're not saved. It doesn't mean they're not going to heaven. But the reality is, some people think Christianity is all about being negative, or Christianity is all about pointing out the, the wrong in everyone else's life, rather than living the right life ourselves and encouraging people to do the same. Now, in relation to spiritual warfare, how many times have you said, I'll tell you what, things can't get any worse, and they do, right? Things can't get any worse than this, and they do. That's why we have to be ready. And I think that's what this portion of Scripture is dealing with here. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 8 first. And keep in mind, when we're looking at these kinds of examples, they're, they're literal examples of spiritual implications that we want to apply to our lives, okay? Um, he who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. One of illegitimate birth shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of the descendants shall enter into the assembly of the Lord. An Ammonite, a Moabite, shall not enter into the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because they did not meet you with bread and water on the road when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against uh, you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pithor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Nevertheless, the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, because the Lord your God loves you. You shall not seek uh, their peace nor their prosperity all your days forever. You shall not abhor an, an Edomite, Edomite uh, for he is your brother. And remember Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. And um, so the Edomites are from the line of Esau, for he is your brother. And you shall not abhor an Egyptian because uh, you were an alien in his land. The children of the third generation born to them may enter the assembly of the Lord. <clears throat> Now, literal emasculation um, is not something that we have to be warned about too much in today's society. But in the spiritual sense, there is an emasculation, emasculation that we have to be concerned about, both men and women. And let me share with you what, my, what I mean. Um, in this portion of Scripture, it's talking about as far as pagans were concerned, many were emasculated for their faith. They were doing that as an act of faith. And many of the priests that worked in these temples were emasculated as, a, as you know, an honoring their false gods. Even Daniel was emasculated. And um, he became, you know, high up in the Babylonian government, as we all know, and was used greatly by the Lord. But there's another kind of emasculation um, that we have to consider today. And, uh, and that is 
when we don't have the courage to fight the good fight. You know, we say someone doesn't have the fortitude, someone doesn't have the courage. And we even use another term, you know, someone doesn't have the, to fight the good fight, to do what they should be doing. So there's a kind of emasculation that we can have even in the church today where we don't have the courage <laughs> to do the work of ministry. And that's for both men and women. We have to be able to stand and do the work of God. And um, to say we have the courage, you know, to do something, and then we fail to do it just makes us liars, not only to ourselves, but to the Lord. And none of us on our own does have the courage to do any of this. But the Holy Spirit, he is the one that can empower us. You shall receive power. And we all know that the word there in the Greek is dunamis, which means the ability to do. And people say the, the ability to do what? Well, the word implies the ability to do whatever you're called to do. So as believers, we have from the Holy Spirit the ability to do whatever God has called us to do. Just be willing to do it. And we need to be willing to fight the battle of the Lord. And uh, in fighting the battle of the Lord, understand this. There's always a chance of being wounded. And there's always a chance of dying. In the literal sense, in some, in some places, I mean, you have to understand, if you, if you have never... Uh, gone on, on the website of, of uh, uh, what's it called, the Martyrs, Voice of the Martyrs. You don't understand how many Christians daily are put to death for their faith. Put to death all over the world for their faith. And for you and I, we might not be put to death, but we might be persecuted for our faith. And it's not a matter of us feeling proud. Look at, I'm being persecuted. Look at how tough I am. That should never be the attitude. It should always be in humility. And we go out and we stand on the word of God. And there are going to be times that people persecute us, that they look at us like a bunch of idiots. What? You don't, you don't believe this? Well, it's not a matter of whether I believe um, two men should get married or two women should get married. It's a matter of what God thinks. You know, anyone's welcome in our church. I'll love them. I'll minister to them, but I'll tell the truth, the truth of God's word. And so we have to understand that we have to be willing to share truth to people in love, even if it is difficult, because their eternal destiny, you know, is in the balance. You know, sometimes I've seen Christians wanting to be so loving and so beneficial and so high and mighty and pious. Oh, uh, you, you know... People are, are the same sex are getting married. I, that's so wonderful. I'll be there. I'll bring a gift and this and that. No. It's an abomination in the eyes of God. The, the word of God says homosexuals will not. And, and that's in the definitive tense. That means absolutely will not enter the kingdom of God. Now, the word there, when it's talking about homosexuals, isn't talking about someone who has those tendencies, but they suppress it for the Lord and they walk a holy and righteous life. It's talking about, it literally means those that are practicing it. They won't enter the kingdom of God. So you go to the homosexual couple who's getting married and say, oh, I'm so happy for you. What do you mean? You're a Christian. You're a soldier of Jesus Christ. And what they're doing is an abomination to God. 
Our greatest concern for anyone is that they be saved, that they be born again. And so I think we have to be willing to fight these battles of the Lord. And it always means there's going to be a chance you'll be wounded. Because a lot of times people aren't happy with what you say. You know what I mean? You know, we've been talking a lot about abortion. You know, we've been spending scripture a lot. Abortion is the murder of a child. Now, understand, I would say probably the majority of the women who have abortions don't know this. They have been taught and convinced it's just some tissue that hasn't really developed into a human being yet. But the word of God is very clear that life begins at conception. The law of biogenesis, which is a, a, you know, a scientific principle that's, that's accepted by all people, it says life begets life. Your life begins at life. And so the minute conception takes place, you have a life. But oh, 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 I understand. Well, no, I don't. I love you, and I'm going to be praying for you, and I'm going to encourage you. But no, it's what you did was wrong. And the alternative, and that's why, um, you know, Joe Putman works for New Hope Pregnancy Crisis Center, and that's a wonderful ministry because what they do is they bring young women in who aren't saved, but they're, what they do is they offer, like, free um, pregnancy tests and free ultrasounds, and so many times the women come in, and when they actually see the baby in the ultrasound and understand this is a, a human being, they choose to carry the baby full term. And New Hope Pregnancy Crisis Center then also works to adopt their babies into Christian homes. That's the way to handle it. And if there is someone who uh, you run into, who you're ministering to, who has had an abortion, understand God forgives all sin. But the thing is, there has to be a willingness to confess it's wrong. Repentance and confession are requirements for the forgiveness of sin. And you have to believe it's sin and confess it, and then the Lord, and repent of it, I want to change, and God will forgive you. And so that is the way we approach these kinds of situations, and, and we're always loving people. You know what I mean? People who have had abortions, people who've been homosexuals, people who've been whatever, been in prison, whatever. They're welcome in this fellowship. They're welcome here. But we want to encourage them in the Lord. Because here's the thing. Hopefully, none of us were, are what we were. Right? None of us are. You know, and, and we seem to have a tendency to want to uh, portray sin in certain degrees. Well, you know, I never did that. No, but you did that. And you want to know something? The Lord puts fornication in the same category as homosexuality. Yeah. Well, that, that's not popular today. I mean, we really love each other. No, you really lust each other. And the reality is, God has an ordained way and method for couples to be able to enjoy one another, and it's called marriage. We can't turn away from what the Word of God is telling us. We have to fight the fight. In 1 Timothy 6, 12, it says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you are also called, and have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 
So 1 Timothy is telling us we need to fight that fight of faith in the midst of this world. And the world's getting crazier and the world's getting darker because Satan is doing everything he can to pit people against people. Do you, do you see that? He's putting people against people. That's his work. But now what's interesting, 1 Timothy says fight the good fight. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Now listen to this. And not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. I can't wait for the Lord to return. It's never a matter, well, I hope the Lord doesn't come back for a few years. There's some things I'd like to do. There's only one thing I'd like to do. Get out of here. <laughs> While I'm here, I'm going to fight the good fight. While I'm here, I'm going to do what God has commanded me to do in love. And I'm going to have peace in my heart because I belong to Jesus no matter what happens around me. You have to understand, when we talk about Paul's prison epistles, he was chained to a Roman guard when he wrote those epistles. And these epistles are so encouraging in the Lord. I mean, think about that. Well, well what, what if we get thrown in prison? Well, Paul was in prison and chained to a Roman guard when he wrote, you know, what we call the prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So we have to be always ready. And then it talks about a child born out of wedlock, you know, was not allowed in the assembly. Well, once again, we always have to take what is in the Old Testament and apply it to what New Testament terminology would be. And it's not necessarily literally born out of wedlock. We're talking spiritually. But let me give you some examples here that I think are, are very important. You might want to write this down. And it's in, write down Judges, and when you get home, study this. Chapter 11 and verses 1 and 2. Japhetha, the Gideite, was an illegitimate child. And, but he was mighty in valor. And when his father had other sons that we would call legitimate sons by his wife, um, they came to him as they grew up and they said, we'll never let you rule over us. You're, you're, you're the, you know, the child of a harlot. And they kicked him out of the camp. But then they realized he was God's man. And they all went to them and they said, we want you to rule over us and to lead us. He said, basically, he said, will you kick me out? And they said, no, we know, you know that you're anointed. We want you to rule over us. So even in the Old Testament, you have understandings that there's a spiritual and a physical application. Physically, he was illegitimate. But spiritually, he was the one God chose to lead them. Um, Jesus Christ, by the traditional Jewish law, was considered illegitimate because Joseph was not his father. And um, in fact, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8 and verse 41, he, Jesus was being confronted and he said, they said to him, then they said to him, we are not born of fornication. But of course, Jesus turned around and told them, you know, you were you know, in a, in a spiritual sense. Because the reality is that Je Jesus was born of God, born of the Spirit. His Father was the Holy Spirit who used an earthly vessel, Mary, in order to bring him into the world. 
And um, bringing that into a spiritual sense, today having an illegitimate member in the church would be someone who holds to a very unbiblical doctrine of salvation that, man, they want to be accepted and part of the fellowship, be an active part of the fellowship. No, because you're an illegitimate child. You have to be born again of the Spirit. You have to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You have to put the authority of his word above any human writings. And if you can't do that, and you can't say that you're born again in the Spirit, you're an illegitimate child spiritually, and you will not fit into the family of God. Now, if you want to come here and be taught and, and, and come to a place where you're able to make that decision, you're welcome. But you're not going to come in here and be part of the fellowship and propagate all your false teaching. That just won't do. And uh, we have to understand that the acceptance of people with all these false doctrines is how much apostasy has come into the church. And uh, just about every, not just about, every Christian denomination began right. They did. I mean, I, when I took church history, if you go back and you read about all your major denominations, they started right. You know, they, um, many of them separated from the Catholic Church in order to stand in the Bible, and, and they started right. But then this kind of thing happened. You had illegitimate children coming into the church, bringing these illegitimate doctrines and, and these illegitimate dogmas. And the next thing you know, the church was gradually changing until it came to a place where it wouldn't even be, even be considered a Christian church again. And many of the um, mainline denomination seminaries, they actually did a survey asking how many believed in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, and it was like 2%. These were men and women studying for the ministry. They believed about 2%. They believe. They don't. To them, it's just religion is just a philosophy. You know, it's just some new philosophy that we're practicing. Well, for we, we as Christians, we have to fight the good fight to keep the faith pure, to stand on the word of God and that alone. You know, under the old covenant also, there were those who could not um, enter the assembly, but under the new covenant, they're all welcome. For instance, we talk about eunuchs, you know, those who were emasculated. And yet, in Acts 8.27, if you want to write that down, we have the Ethiopian eunuch who was in Jerusalem worshiping. And the Holy Spirit sent Paul to run by his chariot and to lead him to the Lord. And the eunuch said, I want to be baptized right now. And there's a eunuch that was, you know, he, he was actually the, the main servant of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. And, and he was going back with Christianity, and much of Ethiopia actually turned to Christ. So there's a man who would go against the, you know, if you're looking at it just in the physical sense, but he sure, surely was not emasculated in the spiritual sense because he had courage to do the work. That's what's being talked about here. And one of the other things that's interesting is it talks about, this, I'm just trying to show you that Many of the things that we're looking at in the Bible, you can't look at it necessarily literally, but just 
um, figuratively, and then we're, we're trying to take it and give the spiritual application because everything that was written in the past was written for our learning. Through constant endurance of the scriptures, we might have hope. So, for instance, um, Ruth was a Moabitess. Did you know that? She was from Moab. This is telling us Moabites, they can't even come into the assembly. A book of the Bible is written in her name, the book of Ruth, a Moabite who God mightily used. Amazing. And also she is in, listen, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? And um, <clears throat> the Edomites, which I mentioned, were descendants of Esau, who were... Um, was a you know, twin brother of Jacob. And um, so they were accepted in, okay? They might have gone off on a different tangent than they should have, but they were family. And so it was always a desire to draw them back into the truth. You know, it's, it's kind of like um, there, there are people that go to some maybe mainline denominational churches and other, other you know, churches where, they're, where they don't really teach the truth, they really don't teach the, the sound doctrine of salvation, you know, being born again of the Spirit. And these people are, are looking. And then they come into our church. So they're, they're, they're fringe part of the family, kind of like Esau was. But we welcome them in that they may, might become part of the real family of God to be born again. We have to have that welcoming attitude to bring... But, Here's where we have to be careful. There's a big difference to be accepting of false teaching and doctrine and being willing to overlook our prejudice against these false teachings and doctrines and putting it on the people. We want to bring the people in that they might know the truth, they might hear the truth, they might be born again, they might be saved and be with the Lord. And also, um, you know, as far as the Egyptians, some people, when they read this portion, they're very surprised why would they say the Egyptians? I mean, look at the slavery that they were in. Well, you have to remember, when, when um, uh, they first went to uh, um, Egypt, remember Joseph ended up becoming second only to Pharaoh. When they first went to Egypt, until Joseph died, they were treated very, very well. They were saved from starvation and extinction by the Egyptians. Because the Lord went ahead of them and put it on Joseph's heart, you know, the seven years of plenty, the seven years of famine. And so Egypt was a place where they were saved and they grew into a nation. And when they left, many of the Egyptians gave them presents and good gifts that gave them what they needed for their journey to leave. So what the Lord is showing us is you don't forget what someone has done for you. You don't forget the kindness people have done for you. Even if maybe later on there are more difficulties and problems, you don't forget the good things they did. You don't just let go of it. And that's what he's telling you here. Don't forget what the Egyptians did for you. And so even though in, in the end they became violent towards the Israelites, don't, don't forget the good things they did. And they're welcome into the assembly. Now, it doesn't mean they bring their violent tendencies and their false teachings, but they're welcome to come in and learn and accept the truth and be part of the family. Now, in, uh, you know, just think about this. We have 
Calvinism, Arminianism, Pentecostal, Charismatic, all kinds of denominations. And um, all these are man-made. If someone says to you, what are you? You say, I'm a Christian. And, and if they say, well, what I mean is, 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 what are you? And you say, I'm a Christian. No, here's what I'm trying to ask you. What kind of church do you go to? A Christian church. <laughs> They're trying to force us to put a label on ourselves, which we don't want to do because all these labels are man-made. We're just believers. The only infallible thing that we have is the word of God, not the doctrines of men. Now, in, in verses 9 through 14, when the army goes out against your enemies, then keep yourselves from every wicked thing. If there is any man among you who becomes unclean by some occurrence in the night, then he shall go outside the camp, and he shall not come inside the camp. But it shall be when evening comes that he shall wash with water, and when the sun sets, he may come into the camp. Also, you shall have a place outside the camp where you may go out, and you shall, be, uh, you shall have an implement among your equipment, and when you sit down outside, you shall dig uh, with it and turn uh, and cover the refuse. For the Lord your God walks in the midst of the camp. And understand, that's not talking about in the literal sense that the Lord's walking around in the camp and he, he doesn't, has to be careful where he steps. It's talking about the fact the Lord is spiritually in your camp. And we need to keep a, a cleanliness. We need to keep, an, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. You've heard that. It's to keep a cleanliness in order to honor the Lord. That's what's being talked about there. And then it continues on, um, in the midst of your camp, to deliver you and to give your enemies over to you. Therefore, your camp shall be holy, that you uh, may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you, that he may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you. So when you're fighting the Lord's battles, it's important to remain clean and pure in our hearts. That's what's important. And the Lord will not use a dirty vessel. In Matthew, if you want to turn there, chapter 23, we're almost done anyway, Matthew chapter 23, and go to verse 25. Matthew 23, starting with verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Now, obviously, he's not talking about the inside of the cup, you know, is dirty. You know, it has filth in it. And he's talking literally about their heart. And, and when he's saying, uh, because the inside is filled with, uh, full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish that the outside of them may be clean also. And so, when our heart is defiled by sin, we need to run to Jesus. Because here's the thing. You can't wash that cup clean. You can try as hard as you want. Well, I'm going to do all kinds of good things today in order to make up for the, for the sin that I committed, in order to make up for the uncleanness of my heart. I'm going to be really good today. No, you're not. You're lying to yourself. 
There's only one way that cup can be clean, and that's when it's cleansed by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's an absolutely amazing promise that the Lord gives us. Because when your heart is defiled by sin, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. You know, so often when our heart is defiled by sin, we go off into a corner feeling, oh, I'm so lousy, I'm so horrible. Yes, of course you are. <laughs> we all are. And, and sometimes on, on occasion worse than, than others. Instead of going into a corner and saying, oh, I'm so lousy, th- thinking that, that self-deprecation, if that's the right word, is, is um, somehow making you feel better in your relationship with God. No, we need to run to Jesus and say, God, forgive me, a sinner. What I did was wrong. I'm not making any excuses for it. Forgive me, Jesus. And he does, according to his word. You know, when there are things in our life that we have to eliminate, we have to not only eliminate it, we need to bury it. And it's talking about, you guys all know what it's talking about here when it talks about the refuse. You know, you have an implement. When I was in the Army in our, um, what did they used to call those um, packs? Anyway, like a knapsack we wore. There's a name for it. We used to have these utility shovels. Some of you that were in, you know what it was. And when you're out on maneuvers, you use the shovel to dig a hole. And why? So the refuse would be buried and covered. Well, in a spiritual sense, we have to understand when there is refuse in our heart and it needs to be eliminated, it needs to be buried and covered. And that is only through confession and repentance. And I, I can't make the point strongly enough that confession is one of the most difficult parts of this process because confession means I'm wrong. What I did was wrong. But how many times, well, I, I did it, but you know why? It was your fault. It was that person's fault. Or I, I couldn't help it because, no, no, no. Maybe the, they might be contributing contributions of why you did it, but you did it, and the sin is yours. And so you run to Jesus, and you say, Lord, bury my sin and cover it, Lord. And it's called the kofar in the Hebrew. And he will cover it. He'll take your sin as far as the east is from the west, and the Bible says, and remembers it no more. It's buried. It's gone. So anyway, it's called field pack, by the way. And the bottom line of, the, of all this is that, that a valiant soldier would be ready to fight the good fight in all the purity of his heart by the Holy Spirit by being willing to constantly rid himself, herself, that means as well, of anything that would stand between you and having a pure and right relationship with the Lord. You know, when you go into um, battle, if you're in the, ever in the military, you go into battle, even when it's a simulated battle, you know, like war games and like that, you want to be where you can hear your commanding officer. And if you're not where you hear your commanding officer, then you have you know, platoon sergeants and so forth that are going to relay it down to you. You want to hear the orders. You want to hear, you want to know what to do. If you had an army that just went, went running off doing their own thing, it'd be, re, it'd be a defeat. 
And the same thing is true in our relationship with the Lord. We want to hear from our commanding officer. We want to hear from the Lord. Lord, what do you want us to do? Lord, what direction are you taking us? And we need to be willing to work together. One man sows, another man waters, but yet it is the Lord that brings up the harvest. So we're not all doing the same thing, but we're all doing the work of the Lord because God is good. And God has given us a promise that no one but a Christian has, no one but a believer has, eternal life. You will never die. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that lives and believes in me never dies. And he has a promise for us living in the days in which we're living. The world is becoming dark with sin and, and, and humanism and, and, and just Satan is running wild through our world. Well, the Bible says when these things start happening, lift up your head because your redemption is drawing near. God's going to call his church out of the world. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a movie. It's not a book. It's a reality. And one day, very soon, maybe before uh, church is over, we're all going to be gone, and we're going to be with the Lord because he's not appointed us unto wrath but to salvation. Father, thank you so much for your word, and I pray that we would take these words of, uh, of soldiers and all these different prohibitions that were given and help us to apply them in a spiritual sense to our lives because our greatest desire is to serve you and to be your child. And so come and, and minister to our hearts and give us the wisdom and, and the power of the Holy Spirit that we need to do the work of ministry, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.